Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast, where today we're joined by a very special guest. We have a discussion today, and today's podcast should interest hikers, people with an affinity for pilgrimage walks, such as the Camino de Santiago, Catholics, travelers, history buffs, adventurers, and maybe even beer lovers. We'll see if we uh, get into that aspect. And before we introduce our guest, let us tell you a few things about him. We're going to be joined today by Christian Clifford. He loves to visit the California missions with his family. He especially enjoys learning about the founder of the first nine missions, St. Junipero Serra. This passion led him to write St. Junipero Serra, making sense of the history and legacy. After its publication, he took his son's advice to write a book for children, recommending that it be called Who Was St. Junipero Serra? His third book, Meet Pablo Tuck, Indian from the Far Shores of California, is the story of the first California mission Indian seminarian. His latest is Pilgrimage in Search of the Real California Missions, the story of his 800-mile walk on the California Missions Trail. Christian's writings have appeared in Alatea, Angeles, Cal Catholic, California Teacher, Catholic Exchange, Catholic News Agency, Catholic San Francisco, Church Pop, Crux, Philippine Daily Inquirer, San Diego Reader, Today's Catholic Teacher, among others. That is quite a list, Christian. <laughs> Thanks. He has also been a speaker on radio, podcasts. He talks at schools, churches, and service groups. Christian received his Bachelor's of Arts in Social Science from the U- University of Great Falls, Montana, great place, and his Master's in Catholic School Teaching from the University of San Francisco. He has been a teacher in the schools of the Archdiocese of San Francisco since 1997. He lives in San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and his son. And on today's show, we'll dive into his personal story that comprises his book called Pilgrimage in Search of the Real California Missions, overviewing his epic 800-mile walk on the California Mission Trail. So we welcome you Christian, to our show. We have been so excited to talk to you. It is a passion that we have had ourselves, but obviously not as extensive as yours, as we will speak of shortly. We never really met on our paths, but we too have walked two sections of the mission trail. And that's why I'm here to fire you guys up to finish it. We do. We do. We really want to finish it. And, and ours was from Oceano to um, San Luis Obispo Mission. And that was our first one. That was 16 miles. And that was a kicker. I never heard and, so much in my life. And that is a very special segment for me because it's the uh, only part of the California Missions Trail that I walked with my son. At the time, I think he was 12 years old. And he, he was a trooper. He did about 10 miles. So uh, that's a very special part of the trail. It was beautiful. 
It was absolutely gorgeous. We enjoyed it so much. Our second one was a little more extensive. So we did a mission walk from Santa Barbara mission to a San Buenaventura mission, which was a two-day journey. So there was an overnight in a tent at a church on a church grounds. And then we moved on for the second half of the journey. So that was about 35 miles in two days. And that's the um, the annual one that's been going on for a few years, right? Right. Yes. I think, yeah, yeah three oh, or four. Oh, that's years. great. Yeah. yeah. We'll be that's back wonderful. with them again this August. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. That's a beautiful part of the mission trail along the beach there. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So we would love for you to start and, and just tell us about yourself and our listeners about yourself, a little bit about who you are and what kind of spurred you on. Well, I'm 52 years old. I did the walk a couple of years ago where I completed it. And as you, as you said in the intro, that's a lot there to, uh, that's a really pretty good uh, bio and I appreciate that. I'm an author, but I have to keep my day job. I'm a, I'm a full-time teacher. I teach high school theology at an all-boys uh, Catholic high school named after Junipero Serra. It's Serra High School in San Mateo, California. And um, it's a real joy. The, the young men asked good questions when Pope Francis, back in 2015, uh, announced that uh, he would come to the United States to recognize Junipero Serra's holiness in the canonization in Washington, D.C. And a lot of the guys read the stuff online and they were confused. Like, you're, you say this about him, I, I read this online. What's going on? So that's why, really what led me to my first book, St. Junipero Serra, Making Sense of the History and Legacy. So, um, you know, I just walk through the uh, historical method and Sarah's reputation pretty holds up pretty well against the historical method. Yeah, unfortunately, his reputation has been uh, politicized and so on. He's kind of become the poster child for the impact that colonialism had on native groups and so on and the, and the trauma that kind of exists because or around that. I mean, that's real. I, I want to recognize that. But uh, some of the, the aspersions that are cast at him are just egregious, you know, and, and don't have much evidence to support it. Yeah, I mean, I heard an uh, interview last night pertaining to the uh, boarding houses, the Indian um, residential, you know, all that trauma surrounding that issue. And the, the woman highlighted the part the Catholic Church played in that. And it's like, I'm wondering if there's maybe some underlying issues because she didn't talk about the Methodists or the Episcopalians or, you know, she and she didn't even highlight the, the role that the government played. I mean, the government's really the, the the one that spurred the whole thing on and said, hey, Christian groups, you guys are into service. Help us out, you know? Anyways, I don't, I don't want to get into that so early on. I know that's going to come up later on. But uh, so that's that's a little bit more about me. What I'm excited about is that you have written a book and we really, I started reading it, the, the last one you wrote, and I started to read it and I found myself immediately getting immersed into it. Now, I'm one that loves history and I love Catholic history in, in particular. Mm -hmm. So we want to hear more, a little bit more about your book. Yeah. And sure. I think maybe a good place to start is, you know, when, when we think about the title of your book, Pilgrimage which again, you know, takes the reader on the 800 mile journey that you took, highlighting early history of the missions, key events, the people of the missions. Readers get a rich overview of your experience of participating in such a pilgrimage. If you could help our listeners understand what a pilgrimage is. Yeah, sure. So I think there's many definitions surrounding pilgrimage. Uh, there's actually some new I think it's mainly in the area of psychology. 
um, that's dealing with pilgrimage directly, the spiritual quest of, of humans and so on. It's kind of a new one. But I think the basic one is a journey to a sacred place uh, at, at great cost to deepen one's religious faith, whatever that faith is. I think universally, the idea of intent and purpose go deeper into meaning, you know, it leads one to, to a deeper understanding of meaning and they're all kind of interrelated. But um, I think the great debate is, does one have to go through a physical pain in the process of pilgrimage? And I, I actually had a, I was on a podcast with a psychologist whose specialty is in the area of pilgrimage and, and she, she definitely thinks one does. I don't know for me, to be honest. I mean, I, I had great pain during my pilgrimage, but um, I think there are things that people can do, even if they're not physically able, that can kind of get to the crux or the heart of pilgrimage. But there is some distinctions to be made. Like uh, you can see, I'm, I, I know we're not on video, but I'm wearing my California missions kind of Hawaiian shirt, right? And uh, this is a gift of a, a group that I helped from the Diocese of Las Vegas, two or five of the uh, missions in California, in Southern California, uh, years ago. I think it's 2015, shortly after the canonization. And, um, you know, it was, it was really religious tourism. You know, we were, we were on a bus and we'd get off the bus and we'd go to the mission. And, you know, it was wonderful, but I wouldn't call it a pilgrimage, even though even though we did. I used in, in my book, the Codex Calixtinus, the uh, 12th century guide for pilgrims on the uh, Santiago de Compostela or the Way of St. James in English. And I, I kind of incorporate that in there to as almost a, a, a guide of sorts. I think that's a wonderful guide that defines pilgrimage that is unique to Catholic Christianity. And uh, that's why I kind of incorporated some of that into my book. I have not done the Way of St. James. Uh, I have a friend that has many times I definitely want to. I anticipated on doing it, but then COVID came in, you know, family responsibilities and so on. Uh, so I'm like, hey, why not just do the one in my backyard? And that can maybe be a uh, a test, you know, or uh, before I do the one in Spain. God willing, someday I'll get there. We are in the same boat. And, and there are people that are familiar with the way of St. James or the Camino de Santiago that is in Spain and other places in Europe. You might want to just kind of touch on that a little bit about that pilgrimage, but they're way less familiar with the California Mission Trail as we were. We knew all about missions, but we had no idea there was this walking trail. Yeah, we didn't know it until last year, and we've lived here all Mm -hmm. our lives. Right. Yeah. So kind of stage it for us, we were also very moved when we watched the movie The Way, and that that prompted us years ago to start thinking about this pilgrimage in starting, well, we were going to start in France, do the France route. Give us a little bit of a staging of what it's like when you were walking this mission trail, and, and would you compare it to Camino Santiago, de Santiago at all, or...? No, from my understanding, because there's no hostels or infrastructure, and a lot of it is urban and on pavement. I know they have that in the uh, in Spain too, but uh, this one has a lot. One of the wonderful things is there's a group called the California Missions Missions Walkers. So I'm also uh, from California. I was born here, raised here, and um, you know I I ended up doing a road trip kind of 
to all I drove to all the missions when I was before marriage and single and I'd pull over on a road trip and visit. And that's really started my affinity for the missions and uh, St. Hunap Rosera. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful to walk because you get to really experience so much more, even though it's not quite like, I don't know. Uh, my, my friend who's done the Camino back in Spain said, this is much more challenging, the California Missions Trail. And he, he read my book and he really enjoyed my book. And um, Can you explain that challenging in terms of that you're more... Well, it's, eight, a- it's 800 miles, first of all. Yeah. The one is yeah. in Spain, the, the one from uh, southern France to Santiago is like 500 miles. And it has all the built-in infrastructure. The, the great thing, though, is I came across a group called the California Mission Walkers. And they have a website and a Facebook page and all that. And they're just a wonderful group of people. And, uh, you know, you put yourself out there and some people invite you to stay at their house. Some will walk with you. Some will pray for you. Some will buy a lunch or whatever. It's just really great. I only had to sleep. uh, I only had to rough it one night under the stars. Actually, it's for two nights. The uh, out at Fort Hunter Liggett, Mission San Antonio de Padua, yeah, in Monterey County, is the remotest and it's the most inland. And, um... It was actually during COVID too. So I had no, oh, wow. they have a little retreat center there, but it was closed because of COVID. So I actually camped out for the night and it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I kind of felt like the friars of old. I, I can just imagine they heard the sights and sounds, saw the sights and heard the sounds that I heard, you know, coyotes howling at night. And there is a, a amazing place that I actually stayed at uh, years ago with my dad, the Hacienda, which is on Fort Hunter Liggett. Behind the barbed wire, it's actually on the base, the main the main base. So you need to get access somehow. Now uh, you have to go through hoops and you know ID and all that post nine eleven stuff. So it's a really cool old uh, hacienda built by uh, Hearst, right? William Randolph Hearst used to own that land, and that's where he used to host his his uh, Hollywood friends. And yeah, I think Julia Morgan was the architect, and it's just a spectacular place. Yeah. Very exciting place. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've stayed the night there once. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. We, it was just, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I think that's what I love about, you know, what you're doing and in, in these walks that you're taking, because you're, you're kind of immersing yourself, even though it's modern times, you can get a sense of the antiquity of it. And I, yeah. I love that part of it, you know, and, and Thank um, you. I can use my imagination for a lot of things. And, and that's kind of where I go as I'm walking and trying to place myself, even though what I'm doing is probably much, much, much more easier than what they had to endure. But I try to place myself there and it's exciting for me. I get very excited yeah. by it. And Well, thank God for Advil. You know, <laughs> I, I oftentimes I oftentimes wondered when I was walking, I'm like, you know, were the eighteenth century people just hardier than us because you know, Sarah was a Franciscan, and it was kind of frowned upon to ride a donkey or hop in a cart, but they could. He did walk a lot. He, he didn't walk everywhere, but he did walk a lot. It's pretty well known. And um, But I thought to myself, I never re- read in their writings like, oh, I was in such pain from that walk or what have you. And I wondered, like, maybe the Manila Galleons had opium or something, or maybe like uh, – <laughs> marijuana or something that just kind of helped them relax or I don't know. I never came across that. And that's a total theory of mine, 
but maybe they had some medicinal help to kind of help them along. You know, I wonder, I wonder about that. We sure didn't have the quality of shoes we have access to today. You yeah. It's got to make a big difference as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the quality of wine. I don't think they had the quality of wine either to maybe help yeah. some people out to relax because it was yeah. all sacramental wine at the time. And I know Junipero did walk with injury. There are writings. Yes. He was injured and he just kept walking. Absolutely. Uh, so today is May 16th. Tomorrow, on this day, May 17th, 1769, he was about two weeks from San Diego on Baja, in Baja, California. And he actually wrote about that. He, he was like, oh, I celebrated Mass. And I could barely stand up. I was in such yeah. great pain and I've been in such great pain for the last couple of weeks. But, you know, God willing, I'll make my way to to evangelize natives and bring in the gospel and transform their lives, hopefully for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another wonderful thing about so many stories I read about our religious and our, and our priests. Yeah. So many great things. We told you that we first became of this mission trail a year ago. When were you aware of it? So I'm in a member of the California Missions Foundation, and I think I joined them back in, I want to say... Maybe like 2014, okay. 2015. Yeah. And I went to one of their annual, their annual conference at the time down at um, Mission Santa Inez. And I met the California Mission Walkers. There are a few of them there. They had like a, ta- a table. And, um, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Uh, a group that's devoted to this, you know, kind of walking in the footsteps of the friars. And some people are, uh, they do it for religious reasons. Others do it for adventure. Some do it for the history. I mean, you name it, people do it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But um, what happened was a couple of years down the road, my father-in-law passed away in the Philippines um, and for different reasons. I couldn't go. I basically put my wife and son on a plane. And within a day or two, I was bored out of my head. And I was looking at Facebook and I, I'm a member of the California Mission Walkers Facebook group. And I'm like, Hey, that's a good way to pass the time. I'll start walking between the missions. And how hard can it be? I mean, I was a Boy Scout. I was in the Navy. And, you know, I mean, how hard can it be walking? And uh, lo and behold, it was like this time, mid-May. And I hopped in my car on a Friday, went up to Sonoma. So in my book, I actually do it from Mission San Diego all the way to Sonoma, just for kind of ease for the reader. Uh But I actually started, I started in Sonoma. And, um, it was about this time, maybe 5.30, and uh, I had, uh, what do they call, uh, not hiking boots, but kind of like semi-hiking boots. Uh, there's a name for them, I forget. Are they the ones that are high up on the ankle? And uh, A day hiking boot. That's the actual name. Day, yeah. yeah, yeah, up the, up the ankle. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, I was going to do to Petaluma that night, which is probably only about 10 miles, and I thought I was going to die by the end of that, that uh-huh. walk. I mean, it was pitch dark out. There are cars flying by me. I thought I was going to get hit. I had a vest on because my one of my another colleague, he's he's done the Camino, and he he gave me a vest to to wear, uh, a reflective vest. And um, and oh, the the blisters were horrible. I, I don't know how I got a second win the next morning because the bus doesn't come. Um, you have to go all the way to Santa Rosa back down to Sonoma. It's like way inconvenient, way out of the way. It's only like twice a day kind of thing. So I got second wind and I continued on my way the next day. And it was very difficult. It was very challenging. And there wasn't a lot of hills and mountains or anything, uh, but I was ill-prepared. And 
over time, you know, contacting the California Mission Walkers, people were really helpful. My buddy who actually picked me up in the middle of nowhere, Marin County, because just uh, strategically, I I couldn't end up finishing two missions in San Rafael because he was my ride. And long story short, he had to come into the middle of nowhere and pick me up and drive me back to my car in Sonoma. And uh, he's like, oh, boy, haven't you ever heard of like uh, putting tape over your feet and so on? I go, no. He goes, yeah, you should start doing that. It really help with the blisters. And it was a great tip. That was a great tip. Uh, he's like, if you don't have moleskin, you can use tape, you know. So that was great. So after your initial experience, which sounded like you had some difficulty, some unpleasantness, at some point you then decided, hey, I'm going to walk the whole 800 miles. What was what was the yeah. inspiration for that? Oh, boy. My wife would probably say pigheadedness, stubbornness, <laughs> because – I think when I finish something or I start something, I'm going to finish it. And so here I am totally wounded and I get back home and my family is still in the Philippines and maybe a day or two, I started feeling a little better. And I guess I just got the bug, you know, I'm like, you know what? I am going to walk from my house to Mission Dolores. And I had a map of California because I was doing it in piecemeal and so on, just totally pragmatic about it. It's like, hey, I'm going on vacation to Oceano. I'll walk from there as far as I can if my wife lets me. You know, and I'd, I'd come home and I'd get the map and I'd, okay, I did this part and I got to do this part. So I actually finished in just north of Santa Santa Maria where I, I connected the north with the south, okay. just north of Santa Maria in Central California, kind of near Oceano. So yeah, just very practical about it. And I got the bug and I did 10 miles to Colma or whatever it was. I called my buddy and said, Hey, can you pick me up and drop me off? And you know, that's kind of just how things went. Yeah. It was really great. I got the bug. That's the, the short of it. It feels like our first hike was at 16 miles and wow. we, we didn't know what to expect. Thought, okay, let's just go do it. And I remember I had gotten to a mission San Luis Obispo and my legs felt like jelly. I didn't know if I was going to be able to walk anymore and yeah. I lost a toenail and I, all these things happened and it, it felt like the same thing. It was like, I completed that. It was incredible. We had mass. The, the priest at that parish said mass for us. It was wonderful. So yeah. even though it was painful and hard, I was raring to go again. I'm like, let's do this. Yeah. Yes. And you guys, you, you're with a group too. So I think yes. the camaraderie is really helpful. Yeah. When you're alone, it's a little different, even though you get different things from that too, right? I, I think it's easier to pray and kind of to get to get your know yourself a little better, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So so at any point, were you with a group? No. I think the most the most I ever walked with was two. Yeah. A group, just two, me and two other people. Most of, most of it I did alone. Alone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Most. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to touch on too, that I read in your book that may also help people understand one of the nuances about the California Mission Trail versus the Camino de Santiago. My understanding is probably most people who do the walk in Spain do that as a through hike. And yeah. I think many people who do walk the California Mission Trail, most of them, even those who complete the whole thing, 
do it in segments. 800 miles yeah. is a big commitment. You mentioned earlier, there's little infrastructure. And the other thing that, that I just find really inter- intriguing, and I don't know what the number is, but I know there is thousands, if not tens of thousands, so many people who have walked the Camino in Europe. Mm-hmm. In California, your book mentions that as of a date in 2020, you know, not that long ago, only 48 people are on record yeah. for walking that entire trail. Yeah, that's right. I was number 49. Yep. There oh, you go. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. So I think, you know, for, for people looking for something to do that's that's a challenge and maybe something that many other people haven't done right in our own backyard here in California, there's this fantastic trail. Yeah. So there, like when you guys did the San Junipero Serra pilgrimage, right? Yes. Yeah. And then there's the Camino Serra, which is uh, the Legionnaires of Christ. They're an order and they have a, a retreat center in Cupertino down there, Mission Santa Clara. And they do something during the summertime. I think it's about an eight day pilgrimage from Mission Santa Clara, Mission Santa Cruz to Mission Carmel. And it's not, I think, not well known, you know, and uh, it's kind of gaining momentum and um, a couple people a year complete it. The idea of a through through hike is very appealing. I told you about my challenges early on, and as I learned tricks and I got better, and uh, I was I like to tell people, oh yeah, I've done a few marathons, and they they look at me like, what you? And I go, yeah, I've walked them. You know, I, I was doing twenty six plus miles a day towards the end there. Wow. I was really moving along. Yeah, yeah. I think I did it four or five times. So the through hike is really appealing. I think when you go to Spain or, you know, you travel far, you, you want to get it done and, um, you can't, you don't have the convenience of spending uh, $800 for a plane ticket or whatever, just to go walk 80 miles or whatever. So at a time, not many people have done the through hike. I do know one and I met him because I picked him up at Mission Sonoma and I dropped him off at SFO. Um, he was a religious, a professed religious, and um, he was uh, Franciscan, but not OFM or Capuchin. It was another kind of definitely Catholic, and he was a religious brother. But anyways, he wanted to do, I forget the name of it, but it's the one in England where you basically just walk outside your door and walk all the way to Rome, I think it was. And what happened was, I think... Um, something occurred where he actually had to go back to his home in Kentucky and he had to pause that. And then he heard about the California missions trail and he, you know, Franciscans, uh, religious oftentimes don't have personal wealth. So it's communal. And um, he was telling somebody and they're like, Oh, we're, we're, we work for the airlines. We'll, we'll get you a friends and family ticket to San Diego. And he got off the plane, not a penny on him. And he walked the whole 800 miles Um, I want to say, yeah, I think he did it in like 50 days, 50 days without a penny. I read 55 days. I read, I I think I read that segment of your book. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) he was a really neat guy and I couldn't believe it. It's like without a penny, that's, that's really old school, you know, traditional, like that's how they did it then. That's how I'm going to do it now. That brings that uh, saying the uh, Camino provides, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had some great stories. Well, you mentioned Oceano, starting from Oceano with your son is one of your favorite sections. Is there another section that you loved? Yeah, that's really tough. Um, 
the redwoods going you know up to uh the santa cruz mountains that was just amazing hmm. i actually had my best day i think in terms of time was from mission santa cruz to the uh the peak there the summit i'm forgetting the name right now over like highway 17 going into the silicon valley Mm -hmm. and you go like 1400 feet in a pretty short short distance and i really did good time on that day down north of uh santa barbara refugio pass was really special that is um i think the high point along the coastal range on the california missions trail I want to say like 2,200 feet. That also is in pretty short order. You do a lot of uh, zigzags and you're up there. And it was a day where it was cloudy and it was so cloudy. It wasn't raining, but the precipitation was so heavy on the the trees that it was. It sounded like it was raining. It was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, and I have a little video of that on my Flickr page uh, at Mission 1769. It was really, It was really awesome. So that was really special. There, there are a lot. There are so many, uh, so many great memories, so many beautiful spots. California, as you well, are well aware, is so diverse in terms of its natural beauty. Connecting back to the Camino de Santiago, I did some research, and you know, there's a reason why the friars came here. I mean, yeah, there, there's all this history and so on with Balboa and exploring San Diego and Vizcaino, Monterey Bay, and then putting all their notes in an archive somewhere, and then the Russians and the British came, kind of knocking on the door of what they saw was their land on paper. That's why they, they even came up here in the first place. The sacred expedition with the friars and the soldiers, civic and religious, because once the natives freely accepted baptism, they also became Spanish citizens. So back in, you know, St. Petersburg, London, you know, the Spanish ambassadors said, stay away. This is our land. We have people there, you know. Geographically, it's pretty similar to Spain, where these guys were from. It's no wonder they, yes, they named them after saints, but also the rivers and so on. It probably just reminded them of home because the the temperate climate, the Mediterranean climate that we have here, it's just like what they have there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do my exercise on my Peloton, and sometimes it's in places in Spain. I'm kind of riding my bike, uh, you know, with the video there going, and I'm like, this looks just like California in the, in the missions trail and the places that I walked. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Oh, that's awesome. So you talked about these beautiful spots. How about some of the most challenging things on the trail? Well, like I said, the, the, the blisters and, and the toenails, losing toenails, running out of water a few times because I was underprepared with my equipment, having the wrong shoes. Like I was saying, the day hiking boot was not a good idea. I don't know. I mean, the most challenging would have to be the physical early on. But like I said, I really connected all the dots and learned from my mistakes and was doing much better there towards the end. Yeah. There, there was one time where I was uh, in triple digits, only one day. And that was near Mission Soledad, which uh, is aptly named. You're very isolated. It's almost all in that part of the state now. It's almost all uh, wineries and the winds just were brutal and it's always windy in that part of the, the state. And so I'm just going against winds. It's like 104 degrees, 105 degrees. And uh, I think some people, I, I call it a mystical experience, but some people call it like runner's high or whatever. But I started walking and I don't even remember having a thought for like, it seemed like for an hour, you know, it's like, it was such a trip. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. So interesting. Yeah, I think that was kind of a interesting day, and it was <laughs> it wasn't tough per se, but it was different. That's for sure. Yeah. There were a couple times where some people pulled over, and I thought maybe I was going to be uh, chopped up and thrown in the back of the truck, oh, kind of no. thing. That was kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah, that was kind of weird, and maybe think twice. Yeah. And that was that was actually near the uh, Soledad State Prison too. The uh, guy's like, "You want some water?" I think he's maybe being a nice guy, you know. But uh, you have to be really cautious when you're walking alone. I did bring some uh, pepper spray. Yeah, I think uh, after that, I bought some pepper spray just in case. Also for the animals, poles poles are great. They're recommended by uh, somebody who did the entire walk. I met her in San Diego, and uh, she recommended the poles because I already walked like 300 miles and I'm like poles kind of look dorky and so on, but she's pretty <laughs> persuasive and, and they are, they are very helpful. They're very helpful. You recommend for, them. For balance. The yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys are in Ventura or Simi Valley? Simi Valley. Okay. So that was a tough walk too, actually through that park there. I'm forgetting the name right now. Corrigan, Corrigan park. Corrigan Hill. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of a hot day, and I, I I got a little lost, actually. The last thing you want to do when you're walking such distances is like having to backtrack. And I remember I kind of got to the top, and I'm like, I don't think this is where I need should be. And I had to backtrack a little bit. It was hot, and I remember the uh, trail is like really rocky. Another thing that I, I highly, highly do not recommend, but I, I actually had to, ended up having to do it, was walking along the tra- uh, train tracks a little bit. And that was just north of uh, San Miguel. And I did it for about eight miles. So I think that would probably have been physically the most arduous and scary part of my trip because luckily uh, a train did not come by, but it was uh, a raised uh, track. So on yeah. both sides, left and right, uh, it was pretty steep and just all all huge rocks. So it was, I don't know how I didn't sprain an ankle. But I got through it. I got through it. So, yeah, that was probably the scariest now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And is that something that is part of the trail or is it just? No. No, I think sometimes people are pretty uh, practical when it comes to safety. Some people say it's a cheat, but, you know, hey, I'll get an Uber from here to there, you know, kind of thing, just to be safe. Because there are a few times where you actually have to walk on the highway. And I think CHP, some people investigated and they contacted CHP and they're like, yep, just stay, stay on the the shoulder. Uh, You're okay. We're not going to ticket you or anything on that part, on that part, you know, Uh, because most illegal. Yeah. We've come across, there's a section, I believe it's it's of of the trail. We actually had passed one, one day we were driving up to Lake Kachuma which is, um, I think, Castro, a little, San Marcos, yeah. Castro, yeah, I think. north yeah. of Santa Barbara. There happened to be three yeah. young people who were who were they were actually doing the the walk as a through hike. Yeah. But we were watching them walk through that pass. We were actually going camping in the mountains, and that segment looked fairly dangerous in terms of there was yeah. very little room on the road for any walkers. So there's segments like that where people have to be very cautious, being very attentive to traffic. I think most people don't do that that way to Mission Santa Inez. Yeah. I think they used to. Um, I think think people have been doing this since probably like 2005, the California Mission Walkers and so on. And um, 
I think they used to do that, but I don't think it's recommended. I, what I did was north of Santa Barbara, what is it, Goleta, and Highway 101 there. And mm-hmm. I actually went against traffic, and you have to be like eight miles, but the shoulder's huge. But it is pretty scary because it's a straight straightaway for the most part, and people are flying. Yes. They mm-hmm. are flying on that part of 101. And um, needless to say, when I got to, uh, I think, Refugio Road, I was just like, I'm glad that's over. I'm really glad that's over. There are a couple other times I I write about this in my book on highway. I was talking about, I think it's uh, Soquel road, which is off of highway 17, but parallel with it. And I felt like uh, the old Frogger game. I don't, you know, Atari, like 1982 or something like that. One of the earliest remote control games where it's like, you're trying to get across traffic. You're a frog. And that's kind of how I felt zigzagging because there's barely any shoulder, barely any shoulder and uh, trying to avoid the traffic. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of times people just don't expect to see in a lot of these rural areas, people walking when uh, my brother and I walked from King city towards mission Santa, or actually eventually to mission San Antonio to Padua, the CHP pulled us over within maybe two miles of walking. And they're like, what are you doing? Yeah, we got calls, you know, what's going on. And then we got, pulled over from the uh, base police maybe like two miles from the mission itself and they're like what's going on i mean they, we, they didn't ticket us but i just don't think they anticipate seeing people because it's not like you're in spain and people are like oh there's pilgrims you know there's peregrinos uh i see yeah. you guys all the time yeah right they, they this is not something that uh is common yeah. in yeah. in this area for sure so you had mentioned earlier you know, as you were describing your, your, your walk on, on the, the trail that there was only, I guess, one night or a couple of nights that you had to like sleep outdoors. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the logistics that you experienced on the trail when we think about, you know, sleeping, restrooms, just, you know, yeah, prepare yourself on, on the trail. So Butch Briery is kind of the godfather of the California Mission Walkers. And he wrote a guidebook you know, a couple of years ago, and it was kind of a play-by-play, take a left, take a right. You know, you can stay at these places. Here are your options. They just updated it, the California Mission Walkers, and it is called the California Mission Walk, the Hiker's Guide to California's 21 uh, Spanish Missions along El Camino Real. And they they have a lot of that practical, you know, stuff, whereas mine is my personal story, the story of Native American, California Indians, you know, their descendants, their stories, because they're almost silenced during this whole debate thing. And um, and there, there's some, you know, practical information here as well. But it's not to be seen as a guidebook like that is. So some people do camp out the entire time. Um, you know, they bring a tent and they, they'll have a, a friend in a vehicle, kind of drop them off, and they'll stay at a local campground kind of thing to save money. But then there's other people who are like, I'll stay in five-star hotels, you know, it just really depends on the individual, I think. But then there's also the California mission walkers who put out the red carpet and they're like, Hey, you know, and stay with us and we'll right. cook you dinner. And they're great, great people. Yeah. Met a lot of great people that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this because there's so much connection to others with yeah. this common, you know, it's, it's not so much being Christian or Catholic. It's just this common theme of pilgrimage. Yeah. Now, 
let's say somebody wants to try a segment of this walk. Is there something that you would say to them for, it's just, you know, your learning moments that you can share with them? Well, I, I would probably recommend doing some exercise first uh, because I just, I literally got off the uh, couch and started and it was kind of a humbling experience of what I went through and recognizing that I was out of shape. Yeah, there, I think there's certain things you could probably do to be ready, more prepared for it. Just be open to it. I mean, it's it's amazing, you know, when you, when you're out there, uh, for me, alone and with your own thoughts. And uh, it, it can be very Trinitarian, you know. It's like, okay, God, all right, others, all right, self. You know, it's just, you know, it's all interconnected. It was powerful. It was really powerful if you're open to it, you know, just in terms of physical, it's like, I wasn't even aware that I could be capable of walking 26 miles, you know, yeah. um, I, I wowed myself eventually. So I think, you know, what's the, uh, it almost sounds like cliche, but it all begins with the first step, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, in our human condition, I think sometimes we just get so comfortable with how we see the world and where we are in the world. And I think we might miss a lot if we don't kind of push the envelope and experience what's out there. Because especially as a Catholic, it's like, yeah, this is our history. I went to Rome back in like 2000 and I was a a young professional. I last minute hopped on a flight to Rome for uh, the holidays. And it was a very powerful experience on how truly universal the Catholic Church is. I mean, there are Catholics from all over the world. Uh, the same goes for in our own backyard, where there's roughly one in four people, 25% are identify as Catholic Christian in California. And these are our, this is our shared history. And you walk into a Catholic church, and, and, and there's a baptism going on with children and uh, young people and adults. And it's just the faith is alive. And you really see it in powerful ways rather than maybe just your, your parish, you know, it's like, which is, could be very powerful too. Don't get me wrong, but this is a, a real deepening of that sense. Yeah. Now, while we were on our two day segment, we had run into very little, usually young people that are driving by with some slurs. Oh yeah. And yeah. you know, so, so I was, I was very pleased that it wasn't more. It was only a couple of times. But there is a segment of of people out there that have these misconceptions of who Father Sarah was. Yeah. Briefly, can you just, you know, give somebody, just try to break maybe one of those misconceptions about Father Sarah and what his purpose was? Sure. So... Some of the crazy things that are said about him, like, oh, he was a Himmler. That was uh, said to me in a tweet years ago. And um, he, he was a man of his time, but at great cost, he, he really felt God was calling him to be a missionary. He kind of left a relatively comfortable life back in Mallorca, Spain, as a professor of sacred theology and philosophy. And he came when he's older to New mm-hmm. Spain. And um, the story is very well known for those who know and love Sarah. He was uh, first night Veracruz off the ship, walking to Mexico City to the college where he's going to learn about the natives and how to evangelize them and their language and their culture and all that. 
And he was bitten probably by a brown recluse spider because they're pretty common down there. And he had an ulcerated leg for the off and on for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he would event basically um, for those Palma Indians north of Mexico City who were already Catholic, but I don't think they had a, a priest there all the time. So he kind of had to reteach them the faith and so on. He was doing that for about 20 years until the geopolitical situation was, hey, one, we got to get the Jesuits out of here because they're economically competitive uh, with the lay Catholics who were running basic, you know, basically plantations and uh, using the natives as basically slave labor. And the Jesuits would speak out and say, no, you can't do that. All this stuff, because the missions were basically communes when you built, you know, and what you is all for the community. Right. the food and so on. But um, the Jesuits were suppressed, brought back to Europe. The Pope folded on that under pressure by the monarchs. And um, the Franciscans took over the uh, missions in Baja, California. And Junipero Serra became the first father president of those missions. And he was only there for a short time, just under a year. And, and then the, uh, the government uh, said, hey, new orders. Are you up for it? We wanted to go to what was then known as Nueva California mm-hmm. and set up shop there and evangelize the natives there, make them uh, help them enter the faith so that they're also become Spanish citizens. So back in the uh, halls of St. Petersburg in London, we can tell those uh, the British and the Russian, stay away, stay off our lands. Those are mm-hmm. our lands. And he was here. He set up nine missions or founded nine missions during his lifetime. He wanted to set up dozens, but of course it was impractical. And the Spanish would eventually, over about a 50-year period, set up 21 missions in what is known as the state of California today. And it on, on a map, it's uh, from San Diego to Sonoma in the north, northern California. I think I looked it up one time. It's 500 miles driving, basically on I-5. But the missions, the 21 missions are not in a straight line. Right. So that's, that's why it's an extra 300 miles because you're kind of zigzagging, you know. And one time I looked it up, basically 800 miles is the state of California, straight line from Mexico to the Oregon border. It's oh. just a little, a little more than 800 miles. So imagine walking that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Mind-blowing when you kind of think of it that way. But um, – Sarah was a man of his time, but he's definitely holy. I mean, he's one of the people in American history that has been studied so much that, unfortunately, a young person yelling something out at the uh, Sarah Walkers down there uh, because they have a a poster of Sarah or whatever. I hate to say it, but they've kind of drank the Kool-Aid that they're fed through social media. And unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes from trusted educators uh, I, I think that they might have an, I don't know, it's insane because you, you look, at, he's been studied so much. To say that he's a Himmler is just an insane claim to make. It's really insane. But he was a man of his time. You, know, you look at all of history, I mean, even 20 years ago in our own country that you would never say, oh yeah, let's, let's go back to how that was. Uh, there's just things that we wouldn't do that we did a short time ago. I mean, in the United States in, in the early 1960s, it was pretty well accepted that, you know, corporal punishment in the school, be it public or a religious school, was socially kind of accepted, you know? It wasn't uh, until 
uh, pretty recently in our history that that was it, it's illegal. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> you can't hit students. You can't you can't publicly humiliate them uh, and, and things of that nature. Right? It's just not good for the community ever. But back then it was the norm. So Sarah, as the father president, uh, he never did any physical thing, but he did allow for it. He'd, he'd, he'd be like, hey, you know what? In order for the common good, we're going to, you know, it wasn't whipping. It was more like uh, public humiliation, like a flogging with a heavy rope, which I'm not saying that's okay. But it, it, sometimes people want to equate it with the Deep South and what happened, you know, that famous photograph of the runaway slave who was caught with his back just welted, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it, it was not. And I think that does in, in a real injustice to descendants of slaves, you know, in their history to, to, to say, oh, yeah, you know, Sarah was a slaveholder and the plantations were missions. And yeah. it's yeah. just, it was, it's, they're not equal with each other. They're not. The thing that I would recommend I used to engage people that make those comments and so on. I don't want to die young because they're not going to change their mind. You can give them all the evidence in the world and they're not going to change their mind. If somebody seems a little open, you know, like, oh, that's kind of interesting what you said, you know, Sarah's writings are free online. Mm-hmm. They're, a, they're culturally significant. They're, they're been um, digitalized by the Hathi Trust Foundation for anyone to go online and, and read his own work. And uh, you, you'll see for yourself if one does that, he's no monster. He's no monster. While you're on the trail too, um, there's always the people, the organizers of the trail, and, and they give instruction before you start your walk. And it's always do not engage. You no. just do not engage. So You know, it reminds me of um, the Walk for Life in San Francisco. The first one, I want to say it was like, 1990, uh, maybe 2000, 1999, the Walk for Life West Coast. And I was out there with like, boy, the first one had like 10,000 people. And oh yeah, there, there was a small contingent of really angry people yelling at us. and who dare, How dare you getting your rosary out of my ovary and all that stuff. And I would, I forget what was said, but I was so upset that a human being would say such words out of their mouth. And because all we were doing was praying and, and singing and my guardian angel, some guy just kind of walking with me, tapped me on the shoulder, said, don't engage him. You know, let's just pray for him. Let's just pray for him. And he kind of talked me off the ledge of probably getting in a fight and going to jail or something, or maybe <laughs> get, getting, getting really injured or something because I don't even want to repeat what was said. It was just so nasty. But yeah, yeah, we have uh, truth on our side and prayer is the key. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, this walk of the California Mission Trail, it's an experience that blends a physical challenge. It immerses you in the cultural history of California and just this, the history that that you were just uh, mentioning here. And as we look to, to close up the discussion, when I was, again, looking at your book the other night, one of the things I like about it, every chapter that you present closes with this facts and figures section where you present a fact about each mission, you state what your prayer intention was for the particular segment, and then you also describe the celebratory drink that you enjoyed when you finished that specific that segment. That was awesome, Christian. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, tell us a little bit, bit more bit about how you wove in the prayer intentions during your walks and the celebration tradition that you uh, infused into your experience. Well, the intentions almost act like a time capsule of sorts, right? So in my classroom, we always begin the week with uh, intentions and um, I, I brought them with me, you know, and they kind of almost act like a time capsule of what I was praying for at that time in my life and um, during that segment. And of course, you got to have a little libation at the end. I mean, you can't always be so so serious as what, what, what's our old... Our old mantra as uh, Catholics, right? Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. That's the key, right? So uh, there are a few that I didn't include, but I tried to mix it up with uh, a little wine, a little margarita, a little, a lot of beer. I, I, I enjoy the beer. And there's a lot of craft beers in California with great names that tie in with the uh, history and the culture and the geography. So I included all those, some of those in 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 my right in my book yeah that was wonderful and in the end your book closes with the accomplishment of the walk which includes 782 miles in 290 hours of walking over 45 days you started may 4th 2018 on the feast of saint monica and ended june 22nd 2020 on the feast of saint thomas more so quite an accomplishment we uh, look forward someday to walking much more of the trail. We do have the bug. Before we conclude, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about the California Mission Trail? Well, I hope that um, I've inspired people to maybe do a little more research and to see if it's for them. If it's not, you can probably create a little pilgrimage in your own neck of the woods, wherever you are, building the kingdom of God. I'm going to hopefully have a class on pilgrimage with my students and um, an elective. And I'd like to do from Mission Dolores to Mission Santa Clara or Mission Dolores to maybe Mission San Jose and Fremont. But I also came up with an idea as an, an option, maybe in the city where I live, San Mateo, there are four Catholic parishes and maybe just going from each parish. Uh, maybe adoration at each one, uh, maybe a little cultural historical connection with California mission history because there's a few places around here. I'm pretty confident, Sarah, Walkdale Camino Real, right in my own backyard here. Yeah, you can almost create your own pilgrimage in your own neck of the woods and uh, walk it or ride your bike. You can create your own is basically what I'm saying. I really hope that people will contact me at missions1769.com. The reason 1769 is, I brought it up earlier, that's the uh, the year that Sarah came to California mm-hmm. and brought Catholic Christianity, founded Mission San Diego on July 1st, 1769. I think that's why it says also his feast day is July 1st, St. Junipero Sarah. Yeah, they can contact me by email through my website at missions1769.com. That's great. We will leave that contact information in the show notes for this podcast. And again, we recommend our listeners check out your book, Pilgrimage in Search of the Real California Missions. We'll include a link to the book and other books that you've authored on the show notes for this podcast. And with that, again, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's a wonderful story. And as we mentioned, so few people have had the experience of walking the whole 800 miles. And I can't wait to get back on the trail ourselves again. Do more. It's going to take us a number of times 
to uh, you know try to get in as many of those 800 miles as we can, but we sure yeah. look forward to it. Yes, and we thank you for addressing all our listeners and giving them information on this wonderful trail. As most will hear, we are Catholic, uh, you are Catholic, so you'll hear a lot of Catholic verbiage in this, but please, this is not just for Catholics. It is for anybody that wishes to take a journey and reflect on themselves, their lives. Maybe you just want a really good exercise routine. Whatever it may be, this trail is an amazing trail and it can be for anybody. Thanks, Art and Julie. Thanks, listeners. Siempre adelante. Ever forward. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.